Today we are picking up where we left off talking about Cornerstone 2.0. Um, over the last couple weeks, we have spent time refocusing our mission and purpose as a church family. We started with redefining what church truly means. And as we talked about over the last two weeks, church is not a place we go to, but church is who we are. And the first generation of Christians showed us that in its simplest form, church means family of God. And then we dug deeper into what our purpose is as a church family. And we can sum it up into two actions. First is fellowship or koinonia. This is where we experience deep, satisfying community. And the second is mission. And this is where we have an external focus to care for those around us. Now, what we see from the early church is that these two things, they go hand in hand, and they were vital in helping them to grow and to be a light to the world. So in this next season of Cornerstone, we've honed in on that purpose to focus on these two things, and we've summarized them as missional community. Now, if you're anything like me, the last two weeks they pumped you up. Just thinking about focusing in on our purpose, it gets me excited because of the impact this will have in our lives and our communities. But the question that we're left with is, now what? Like, how do we practically live this out? Because it's one thing to know your purpose, but it's another thing to live out your purpose. Now, the reality is we're very familiar with the tension that exists between knowing what we're supposed to do and doing what we're supposed to do. I definitely struggle with this, but I especially struggle with this when it comes to putting away my laundry. Ugh. Anyone else struggle with this? It never fails that I take the clean clothes out of the dryer and I know I'm supposed to fold them and put them away, but I struggle with that putting away step, you know, and instead I just leave them in piles around my room. See, the struggle is real between knowing and doing. And this same tension, it exists in our faith. We can know what God is asking us to do, but when the rubber meets the road, it can be hard to live out. And the truth is, cultivating authentic missional community, this is going to take work. So how do we live this out? Like, what do we do if we've been hurt by people and we're hesitant to be in community? What if we don't see eye to eye on certain issues? Like, will our differences bring us division? Or maybe you're questioning if missional community is truly necessary to grow and participate in your faith. Or perhaps you're like me, you wanna go all in on fellowship and mission, but you feel like you lack the tools to do it. Well, if you have some of those questions or concerns, that's okay and it's actually great because the truth is living out this purpose, it's not something that our Western culture values or teaches, which is why over the next six weeks, we're gonna get practical to develop some tools and skills around how to cultivate and live out our mission as a church family. And here's what we need from you. If you wanna truly benefit from this series, I wanna ask you to make a commitment to coming here every week, to being here every week. This series will take us right up to summer and if you can't listen on your usual day, that's okay. But please take time to listen at some point because for us to live out this mission, we need to be growing and learning together each week. Okay, well, let's get started. As we're focusing in on mission, Thankfully, much of the New Testament, it speaks directly to this purpose. And one New Testament author that demonstrated living in missional community most is the Apostle Paul. Love the Apostle Paul. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna be learning specifically from his letters to the early church. So since we're gonna be spending some time with him, um, I wanted to get to know him a little better. Now, Paul was the least likely person to be used by God to help bring the good news of Jesus to the world. 
Before his powerful conversion on the road of, to Damascus, Paul went by the name of Saul, and he was this ultra-religious Jewish leader that personally participated in the persecution and murder of Christians. He hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus's followers. But God, in his mercy, he revealed himself to Paul, and he helped him to see that Jesus was indeed the Savior, and then he personally commissioned him to be a church planter, a pastor, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus. So from a self-righteous murderer to a traveling poor pastor, we see in the book of Acts in chapters nine through 28, this transformation in Paul after he meets Jesus. And he would go on to become one of the most influential early church planters and leaders. And one of the most important contributions to the first century Christians and for us today is that he wrote letters to churches. Now in our New Testament Bible, 13 of the 27 books were written by Paul. And he had a few goals in mind as he was writing these letters to the church. One was that he wanted to connect with them. He knew these people and he wanted to connect. Another was to teach them about Jesus. But he also addressed specific issues that the local church was dealing with and he gave practical instruction for living out their faith through a gospel lens. And one of those letters that we now have in our New Testament Bible is the book of Romans, and that's where we're going to be looking at today. Um, if you have your Bible, you can get there in chapter 12. But Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome who were personally dealing with issues of division and tension in the church. And he spends the latter part of this letter giving them impractical instruction to cultivate missional community. And we get this sense from Paul's letter that he wanted to help this church families to take what they know and to move them into action. So with that in mind, let's pick up in Romans 12, where Paul begins practical instruction to the church. Starting in the very first verse, this is what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, by the time he wrote this letter, he had been on mission for Jesus for 25 years. He was very familiar with the pains and the struggles that come with being a part of a church family. He had seen the good, he had seen the bad and the ugly. And at the beginning of this new section, Paul begins with this powerful statement. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now in the original Greek, that was plural mercies. He says, in view of all that God has done for you. Now, if we continue reading in verses three through 21, Paul is about to give Christians some heavy instruction and about to lay out some practical advice for missional community. But before he does that, before he gives any further instruction, he says, remember God's mercy. I love this about God. He never gives us any type of command or instruction without first reminding us of his grace, his love, and his mercy. See, Paul begins with having us focus on God's mercy because he wants to lay the foundation that God's mercy is what compels us to live out what he's about to ask us to do in verses 3 through 21. But we often try to skip this step. Instead of our actions being a response to God's love, you know, in a response to his mercy, we try to do for God without remembering what he's done for us. 
Now, can you recall the last time that you experienced the depth of God's mercy? Have you experienced his mercy recently? Now, we can experience this in so many ways, from his forgiveness to showing us our value to delivering us from bitterness. Well, I just recently needed to be reminded of God's mercy in my life. Over the last couple months, I have been personally walking through a deep loss. But I wanted to share with you today because this is the most recent experience of being reminded of the goodness and mercy of God. In late, Jan in late January, um, I got a call from my sister to let me know that our dad was sick with COVID. When I heard the news, um, my first response was, he's gonna be okay, he's got nine lives. See, in his lifetime, he had gone through so much. He had survived growing up as a poor minority in Los Angeles, as the oldest of 11 younger brothers and sisters. He survived serving in the Vietnam War. He survived heart attacks and triple bypass surgery. He'd even survived getting in a car accident and barrel rolling down the freeway. He actually walked away from that. See, my dad was resilient and he was tough. But after a week of battling the virus at home, um, he was hospitalized because he was struggling to breathe and his body was getting weaker. And the doctors, they were optimistic. You know, he's gonna get through this. And I did, I thought that originally, but something in my spirit told me, I don't think he's gonna be with us for very much longer. Now, despite that internal knowing, I just spent the next few days praying emphatically for his healing and for his body to have enough strength to fight the virus. But a few days after he was admitted to the hospital on February 3rd, my brother called to share the heartbreaking news that our dad was no longer with us. There's no way I could have imagined that when I first heard about COVID in February of 2020, that it would ever hit so close to home and with such a ruthless assault on my family. Now, for those of you who've experienced loss through the death of a loved one, you know how indescribable that moment is when you hear the news that they're gone. It's a feeling of complete helplessness, and yet there's this internal longing for something more to be done. You're just like, this can't be it. Now, the day he passed, all my soul knew to do was to cry out to God. I put headphones in my ears, and I locked myself in my room, and I just listened to worship music and cried for hours. And God, he was gracious in allowing me that space to be sad and to grieve because that's important. But as the days began to pass, God brought hope to my soul. See that voice inside of me that said, this can't be it. God in his mercy answered back, this isn't it. Perhaps someone needs to hear that today. Whatever loss you have suffered recently, I want you to hear this isn't it. See, at the end of the day, death, pain, trauma, and turmoil, that was never the will of God for his creation. And from the moment those things entered the world in Genesis, God set out on a mission to save us through Jesus. And see, here's the good news. Jesus, he chose to leave heaven so that he could enter into the darkness of what we experience. God became flesh. And then Jesus humbly surrendered himself in order to bring us freedom. And he did this by taking on the full darkness of this world as he hung by nails on the cross. And as heaven looked away, Jesus took his final breath and he died. 
It's mind-blowing that the same death my dad experienced, God also experienced. But here's the good news. Death is not the end. Before he took his last breath, Jesus proclaimed these words. He said, it is finished. But what did he mean? Well, three days after his death, and I love this, he waited three days because he didn't want there to be any confusion that he was good and dead. Jesus, he resurrected, proving that he has the power over death. See, what he finished is answering that ache in our souls that says this can't be it. He wanted us to have hope that no matter how much suffering we experience or the pain we endure in this life, this is not the end. We get to experience the same resurrection as Jesus. My dad gets to experience that resurrection, and that's good news. And the most incredible part about this, the most incredible part about God's mission to save us is that we did nothing to deserve it. The only part we played in this plan is the fact that God created us and that he absolutely loves us. See, this is the mercy that Paul is referring to in this passage we just read. He says, in view of God's mercy, in view of Jesus, in view of resurrected life, in view of God's love, in view of what he's done for us. See, when we remember his mercy, our response to him will be, of course I will live for you, because we know that he truly cares for us. Okay, so now in view of God's mercy, how do we respond? Let's read again what Paul says. Starting in verse one, he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So according to Paul, our response to God's mercy is twofold. We offer ourselves to God and we don't conform to the pattern of this world. So let's break down what both of these things mean, starting with offering ourselves to God. So the verse reads, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is your true and proper worship. Now what Paul is urging us to do when he says offer your bodies as a living sacrifice is an expression to be understood as our whole self. See, in view of God's mercy, he asks us to trust him with our whole life. But how do we do this? Well, the only way we can offer our entire self to God is through the act of surrender. It's not a popular concept because surrendering makes us feel vulnerable. But as one pastor put it, there is one task that we can do forever and never grow tired, and that is surrender. Now what he means is that surrender requires no effort from us. Surrender is a release from having to be in control. It's a release from the need to prove ourselves. It's a release from solely depending on our own strength. And here's why this is so important for us to live out as a church family. Because when we, when we live surrendered to God, we realize that we can't do things on our own and that we actually need God, but we need each other as well. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not great about surrendering and relying on others. Earlier this week, I had a day that was filled with absolute chaos. I had so much going on with work, two of my kids were sick, the house was a disaster with my piles of laundry that I mentioned earlier, 
And I was just feeling so overwhelmed. But instead of asking for help, I just try to handle it all on my own. That's my go-to. And then I started studying for this message. And I was reminded that we aren't designed to do this on our own. But like I mentioned, not great about asking for help. But God in his mercy, he put it on the heart of three people that day to bring me some support and encouragement. First, a friend randomly dropped off dinner on my front porch. And then my sister-in-law heard that we'd had a long day, so she got us a DoorDash gift card. And then a friend texted me that evening and said, hey, I wanna bring you Starbucks in the morning. I was blown away. I don't deserve this. See, God was showing me the importance of surrender, not only to connect with him, but also to be willing to receive support from others. Now, I understand that sometimes this is hard to do because the truth is, receiving help from others, <clears throat> it's an act of humility. It can make us feel weak or that we failed. But let me ask you, are there things in your life that you're holding on your own? You know, pressures at work, struggles in your relationships, feeling worthless, financial burdens, hidden addictions. Or maybe it's not a big issue, but like me, it's the day-to-day -day grind of life. We need just as much support in the little things as the big things. See, we're not meant to operate solely on our own, but we need each other. So Paul is encouraging us to surrender our whole self to God, and in result, we will hold out an open hand to one another. Okay, now let's look at the second response to God's mercy. Paul says in verse two, let's read that together. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now in this verse, we're being encouraged not to conform to the patterns of this world. So the first thing we need to explore is what are the patterns of this world? Now our tendency is to want a list of do's and don'ts so we can clearly know if we're doing the right things. But we need to resist that temptation, you know, to make a list and instead look to Jesus to see what he called us to do. Now Jesus, he wasn't concerned with a clear list of do's and don'ts. In fact, he gave us one final command to live by. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he says this, love God and love others as much as we love ourselves. Now, if we want to identify the pattern of this world, all we need to do is the opposite of what Jesus asked us to do. Instead of loving God, we hate God. Instead of loving others, we hate others. Instead of loving ourselves, we hate ourselves. Now we can replace that noun, hate, with any other word that doesn't describe love. We reject God, we despise ourselves, we dislike others. And we can clearly see how this is a vicious pattern of our world and it repeats itself in every generation. So how do we break this pattern? Well, Paul's answer is that we renew our mind. Great, sounds easy enough. But have you ever tried to renew your mind? You know, tried to break that bad habit? Tried to heal from that trauma in your past? See, the human mind, it's one of the most complex things in the known universe. It contains hundreds of billions of cells interlinked through trillions of connections. Like, I don't even understand that. So the process of trying to renew it is complicated and often difficult. But one of the most effective and proven ways to renew our mind is to process with, connect with, and learn from each other. See, again, we need one another. We go to a counselor to heal from our trauma. We go to a support group to break the addiction. We spend time with a mentor who shapes our thinking. We read the Bible together to process what we're learning. 
See, the truth is we can't renew our mind in isolation. There's a level of work that you can do on your own, but deep renewal comes through being in authentic connection with others. So to break this pattern of the world and truly renew our minds, we need to lean into relationship with each other. And then Paul says in the final part of this verse that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And again, his will is what Jesus commanded us to do, and that's to love God and love others as we love ourselves. And here's why this is so important for us and why we started here today. Before we can experience true missional community, we must lay a foundation remembering God's mercy. And in view of that, we respond. We live a life surrendered to God, and we will not conform to the patterns of this world. But here's the key. In this process, we will see how much we need each other. We weren't designed to do life alone. Now, I wanna point out that surrender and the renewing of our mind, this is an ongoing and daily experience. So this means when we enter into community, we won't be perfectly whole and healed. This means that there will be times when we're not gonna get it right. This means that there will be times when we're gonna have disagreements and frustrations. But in those moments, we must refer to what Paul first instructed us to do. He says, in view of God's mercy, we're gonna need to show the same mercy to each other that we've received from God. You know, but we're gonna get stronger together and in our fellowship and in our mission to love and grow with each other and to love and grow with those around us. We are gonna be a church family that is gonna testify to who God is and how the love of Jesus truly transforms lives and communities. All right, church, well, I encourage you, if you were with someone today, that you would process this. You would discuss with them what you learned today because we can't do life alone. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for, for your mercy. I thank you that even as I share that story of my father, I know that he is alive. I thank you, God, that you came and you made a way for us. I thank you that we weren't meant to live alone, but that we need one another. God, help us to be a community of believers that leans into community, that truly buys into fellowship and mission because this was the gospel. This is what Jesus came so that we would be united as one family. And so Lord, be with us this week. Give us courage to do the things that scare us. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.